want to welcome you back to this series we're calling Afterlife, and uh, just glad that you're here today. I want to say a special welcome to those connecting over the internet, also our off-site campuses as well. And we had um, uh, just a great uh, week last week in Austin. I want to give a shout out to Austin. And uh, you ready for this, guys? Last week, Austin baptized 33 people, went public with their faith in Jesus Christ. So we celebrate all the great things happening in Austin. Uh, take, take out a Bible, would you? Turn to 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians is where we'll be in just a minute. If you don't have a Bible, on the back of your worship guide, uh, there's the text for the day. Also, if you'd like to take notes, you can follow along that way as well. Uh, but last week, we talked about how heaven is real. And I think it um, really encouraged many of us as we just realized that heaven is not some white surgical space where you, you know, get a robe and you're assigned a cloud and a harp and you play a song for 10,000 years as you stand there. Heaven is a lot more like the front of your worship guide today. It is beyond anything you can imagine, a new heaven, a new earth. And here's kind of the big idea of today, of the whole series, and that is whatever you believe about the afterlife should affect what you do with this life. In other words, some of us aren't living the way we should in this life because we don't have a proper perspective of what's gonna happen next. Because if you know what's gonna happen next, it should really affect what you do now. And last week we talked about how heaven is our hope. It's the hope of eternity. And the hope that we have for heaven one day should affect how we live with hope Today, And we're just going to kind of build on that uh, in 1 Corinthians. While you're finding 1 Corinthians, though, let me tell you what happened to me uh, when I went down to our Corpus campus uh, last week. I was visiting with some people down at that campus, and one of uh, the leaders invited me to his house and said, Micah, you know, come over, and uh, I've got something to show you. Now, I, it takes a lot to surprise me, but one of the biggest surprises I've ever had when I uh, went to his house, he said, hey, I want to show you my new media room. And so it's over there, go through that door. So I walked through the door, and much like some of you have media room, you know, I saw the big screen and the really cool chairs and speakers and that kind of thing. I got to about the middle of the room. My friend was still at the doorway, though. And you ever get that feeling like something's watching you? Like there's something else in the room? You don't know exactly what it is. And I glanced behind my right shoulder, and there were two eyes staring with me in the darkness over in the corner. And I'm going through the file cabinet of every animal I've ever seen. You know, is it a cat? Is it a squirrel? Armadillo? I don't know what it is. Small dog? I don't know what's happened. But before I can really think about what it is, all of a sudden, those two eyes in the darkness leaped out of the darkness and in one leap landed on my shoulder. My friend caught this picture with his phone. This is what happened. <laughs> the look that I am giving right now is you better get your lemur off of my shoulder before I kill you, all right? I did mention I was in Corpus Christi, right? Okay, just two miles from our campus. I'm not in Madagascar. What is going on? I think in this series, hopefully, you were surprised last week when you really realized, wow, heaven is gonna be amazing, more than I could ever have imagined. And this week, if you're new to Christianity or you've been a Christian for a long time, it just may be one of the most surprising things about heaven that you've ever heard. And Paul writes about it and says, this is what we need to expect and what's gonna happen next. Now, now next week, we're gonna talk about the most important thing about the afterlife. This week, I just wanna look at three truths about the afterlife that should definitely change how we live today. Now, here's the first one, verse 12. Paul says this, anyone who builds on that foundation, we'll talk about what that foundation is in a minute, may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. 
But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. Now, I hope you caught it so far. Paul says that, remember, this is to Christians. He's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's writing to Christians, and he says there's going to be a judgment day. Did you catch that in the text? It's going to be a judgment day. Now, this is not Terminator 3 judgment day, okay? This is the real judgment day, and here's the first truth. The first truth is one day at the end, we will all stand before God. Now, the end, by the way, is just the beginning of the afterlife, but if you know what's gonna happen at the end, it really should change how you move toward the end and what you do now. And at the end, just let this sink in. Everybody, he's saying, is gonna stand before God. I think in the back of our mind, we know that, you know, we know that somebody's gonna stand before God, but it's probably all gonna be all the bad people, you know, like Hitler and Stalin, they'll be there, you know. And, you know. But, but think about this. Everybody is gonna stand before God, everybody. Whether you're popular or whether you're not popular, whether you're rich or poor, whether you think you're a good person or a bad person, everybody's gonna be there. And let that sink in for a second. Everybody is gonna stand before God. Everybody, Taylor Swift, Snoop Dogg, everybody. Everybody's gonna stand before God. Romo, Romo's got a lot to answer for anyway, but Romo... Every football player you may idolize, every person that has a fantasy football team, okay, everybody's gonna stand before God. Everybody that you've ever seen on YouTube, everybody that you've ever seen on a Vine or that you follow on Facebook, everybody listening to me right now over the internet and everybody in this room, we will all stand before God. And that really should help us to think about how we wanna live this life in light of that reality. You see, let me tell you one thing you're gonna wanna have when you stand before God. And I don't have it on the screen, but you can write it down, but definitely think about it today. It is the word grace. When you stand before God, you wanna have grace. And that's what Paul's gonna tell us. I'm gonna show you in just a second. Paul's gonna say, I have grace when I stand before God one day. He's, he, you're gonna notice this. He's not gonna say, I'm so glad I'm a missionary when I stand before God. I'm so glad I was a great pastor. I'm so glad I did a lot of good things. He says, you know what? At the end of time, it's all about grace when you stand before God. Let me show you this. If you have your Bible open, I'll show you. It's one verse up from the verse we just read, but verse 10, and uh, I'll put it on the screen for you. Here, look at what he says. He says, because of, two very important words, would you say it with me? Because of what? God's grace. It's grace. That's what you need when you stand before God, grace. Because of God's grace to me, Paul's like, look, I used to kill Christians. I'm so glad for grace. He's like, because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now, others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. We'll come back to that. Be very careful with grace. For no one can lay any foundation. What is the foundation? Other than the one that's already been laid, who is the foundation? Would you say his name with me? Jesus Christ. Did you know that grace has a name? His name is Jesus. And when you stand before God, you want to know his son in a personal way. You want to have grace. You want to have the grace that the people last week in Austin testified to and the people that we just saw baptized earlier in this service testified to that I'm going to stand before God with grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God that is not deserved and cannot be earned. And you want to be careful with that grace, Paul says, and be grateful for it. And if you know that you need grace at the end, you want to walk in grace now. 
I showed you guys a couple of months ago uh, the climb that my boys and I did at Angel's Landing. And so we went up to Angel's Landing, and many of you have said, hey, hold on to the chain, you know, and we're going up. We had a lot of elevation getting up to this spot. But what I didn't show you is what it really looks like when you finally get out on Angel's Landing. This is my son and I, amazing view. And we got there because one step at a time we made it, and then we got there to this incredible scenery. And God's got something for us here in this life, something for eternity called the afterlife in heaven. And it's gonna be amazing, but we have to walk in grace and we have to stand in grace when we get there. Now, in order to get to Angel's Landing, I showed you the chain. Once you get to the top, you actually have to walk across about a 250-yard uh, cliff that has drop-offs on either side. And I, I just stood there, and forgive my iPhone ability, but holding my iPhone very carefully, I just kind of rotated like this. Let me show you what this looks like, okay? So there's the path I need to go on. This is why I don't want to go to the right, okay? Because there's a 1,500-foot drop-off that way. So I want to stay in the middle of this path. Now, there's the path I want to stay on, but here's why I don't want to go to the left, okay? There's another 1,500-foot drop-off. Now, we have 3D glasses for those who want to watch the whole thing, but you get the point. I wanna stay in the middle here. You wanna you want be careful when you walk on Angel's Landing. We also wanna be careful when you walk in grace this side of eternity because there's two extremes that we have to be careful of. The first extreme, if you, if you really think about it, you've met these people, right? Hey, God loves me, I've got grace, so I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. As a matter of fact, the more I sin, the more I show how much God loves me. And so what I'm gonna do is, is I can do whatever I want, I can listen to whatever I want, I can go wherever I want, I can see whatever I want, I can hang out with whoever I want to, I can go wherever I want to on the weekend, and it doesn't matter because God's grace is so wonderful to me. And I'm just gonna keep on sinning so I'll show you how graceful he is. And sin is not just doing things you're not supposed to do. Sin is when you don't do things you're supposed to do. So God's so gracious to me, I'm not gonna go to church. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to read my Bible. It's all about grace. I don't have to serve. I'm definitely not gonna give. And I'm not gonna get in one of those life groups. I don't have to do any of that because God's gracious to me and I'm just gonna keep on sinning to show you how much God loves me. It's a very dangerous place to be on that extreme. Look at what Paul says. I'm gonna put it on the screen for you. Romans chapter six, verse one, he says, hey, should you just keep on sinning so that God can show you more and more of his wonderful grace? You be careful with that. Of course not. Since we died to sin, you can't continue to live in that any longer. What's Paul saying? He's saying be careful with grace and be grateful for it and walk in grace because you need grace when you step into the afterlife. But here's another extreme, that's one extreme. Here's the other extreme. The other extreme is a group of people that say, hey, you've got grace, you got saved, that's wonderful, now you gotta do this. Oh, and do this too. And you gotta do this and this and this and make sure you don't do that and that and that. And they give you this list, that's called religion, and they give you all these things that you need to add to that grace to make sure you're saved, you know, make sure you do all this, you know. And a list cannot change your life, it really can't. And, and everybody's gotten a list. I mean, I got a list when I was a kid, and the list was basically really short. It was like, you know, don't dance, don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. Okay, just <laughs> follow that list and you're good, okay? But I'm gonna tell you guys, whatever your list was, that list did not change my life. Grace changed my life. And you're not changed when you hear don't, 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 say no, say no, say no. You're changed when you go back to grace and you realize what Jesus did for you and that allows you to walk in that grace and victory. This is what Paul said about it in Titus. In Titus chapter two, I'll put it on the screen for you. He said this, here it is, grace. It's the grace of God, not the list, but grace that's prepared the salvation for all people. Notice, grace is what teaches us to say no to the ungodliness and worldly passions and, and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present 
H. Grace is what helps me to say no. No one is ever changed by a list. They're changed by grace. And let me just tell you, if you are here and you're a Christian, then you've got a story of grace, and your story is as powerful and wonderful as a story of grace as anybody else's story. All of us are a testimony of grace. I can remember when I was a kid, I tell people I had a drug problem because my parents drugged me to church all the time, and I was there all the time, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And you know, the pastor had to preach all those sermons, so he had to get guest speakers, give that guy a break. And usually on Sunday nights, we would have a guest speaker, and they would say, it's gonna be a great testimony of God's grace. I'm like, okay, a great testimony. Everybody always knew that was probably a, a convicted felon is who that was gonna be. And I can remember like it was yesterday, this one particular guy, he walked in, he was, he was from prison, literally, still had his prison outfit on, and he was handcuffed to a trooper, okay? You cannot get any more story. And they're like, oh, this is gonna be a great testimony right here. I didn't know what he was gonna say, it's gonna be a great testimony. And so everybody's waiting, and then he started, you know, he's like, when I was growing up, I used to drink gasoline. And everybody's like, hey, man, what wonderful grace. You used to drink gasoline, that's great. Like, yeah, I, I killed a lot of people. Amen, he killed people, grace, it was grace, you know, was like, wow, it's crazy, you know, and he's like, yeah, I threw my mom out of a moving car one time, amen, he threw his mom out of a car, it was God's grace, you know, and then and he's like, I, I'm gonna sign my book after the service, and they're like, he's signing the books, and the trooper's hands moving with the handcuffs, they're like, what a great testimony you had. Man, I went home so defeated as a teenager, I was like, wow, I don't have a story at all. I mean, as a teenager, I mean, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't, I didn't do drugs. I, I was a virgin when I got married, and I didn't even drink gasoline. <laughs> but I want to remind you guys that my story is as powerful as that guy that shared that night. We are all a testimony of God's grace. It's all grace. Grace is powerful enough to pull you out of any gutter that you're in, and it is also powerful enough to keep you from falling in the gutter in the first place. But I'm not gonna get to heaven because of my good deeds. I'm gonna get to heaven because of grace. Grace is what you want when you get to judgment day. And if you don't have grace, judgment is gonna look a lot different. And Jesus spoke about it many times. Revelation chapter 20 describes it very much in detail. Most of you are familiar with Matthew 7. It's very sad because Jesus said in one day, what's gonna happen is, is people are gonna come to the afterlife, the end, and go, hey, Jesus, how are you doing? And Jesus is gonna say, they're gonna say, Lord, Lord. And he's gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you. Wow. Most of us have heard that verse, so I wanted to show you how the message translates that original text, and it's very powerful. Jesus talked a lot about this. He said, Jesus said this in Matthew 7, I'll put it on the screen, he says, I can see it now, at the final judgment day, thousands strutting up to me saying, Master, hey Jesus, look at all that we did, look at our good works, we preached the message, we bashed the demons, our God-sponsored projects had everybody in town talking about it. And you know what I'm gonna say to them, Jesus says? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourself important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. Wow, what a... What a huge shock. Like, what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean I'm, I'm out of here? Wait a minute, I went to church. But what do you mean? Like, wait a minute, I gave money. What do you mean I'm out of here? I was nice to my in-laws. Come on. What do, you, what do you mean I'm out of here? I'm the pastor. Just say, no, 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 depart from me. I never knew. You see, when you get to judgment and you don't have grace, God's standard is perfection. And you don't want to get judged on your works because nobody's perfect, okay? Alabama proved that yesterday, all right? <laughs> hey, I'm number two. Everybody has an old Miss, okay? 
UT proved that, okay? I, I, make, I make extra points all the time. Everybody's missing extra point. You do not wanna get, get uh, graded on your good works because God doesn't grade, grade on a curve. Either you get there through grace or it's perfection. He said, what do you mean when he says, hey, you're out of here? Or what does it mean? Depart from me, I never knew you. Well, heaven is real. It's as real as the chair you're sitting in. But so is hell. Hell, by definition, is separation from God for eternity. Because God is holy, cannot have imperfection in his presence. Let me just assure you that hell was not designed for anyone, any human being. It was designed to punish Satan and his demons for the destruction and the deceit and the lies that they have put onto this world. And he will be judged and punished forever. Some of us don't even have a good picture of hell because we've watched way too many Bugs Bunny cartoons. So we think when, you know, hell is like, you know, the devil has a throne and he's on a red suit and he's got a pitchfork and he's like, ha, 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 and he's shooting flames at everybody. No, the Bible says that the devil will be in the lowest part of hell and the most torture because he will be punished for eternity for going against God and his glory. But God doesn't want anyone to go there. But it is a destination for those who reject grace. You see, um, William Booth used to say that he didn't want anybody to talk about hell who didn't have a tear in their eye because if you knew about grace, then you would know your motivation to keep people from this destination. As a matter of fact, I love what William Booth, by the way, the founder of the Salvation Army, when back when the Salvation Army was about salvation, this is what he said. He said, I want, I'm looking for men, not men who've been to seminary for three years, but men who've been to hell for three minutes. And if I can find those men, they will know the motivation that we have to answer the love and the grace of God because the scripture very clearly says that God desires no one to perish but all to come to repentance and for all of us to be on this side of the judgment day that Paul is writing about here that says, you know what, it's about grace and we stand on that grace. Now go back to our text because in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, on this judgment day, Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. And now look at verse 14. If the work survives, that builder is going to receive, watch this, a reward. Truth number two, God at the end of time is going to give out rewards. Now this may surprise you. It's like, wow, I didn't really know that. That's exactly what he's saying here. There's going to be a reward. Now remember, no one gets to heaven without grace, but when you get there, because of grace, your works of what you did with that grace is gonna be judged. He's saying judgment day is gonna have a testing of works, and let this sink in. Those works are gonna be judged, and there's gonna be a reward. Now, I've got three teenagers, and we have at our house, or the schools have what's called grade speed. So when you're taking a quiz, you turn that in, your parents know what you scored on that quiz before you get home. How many of you guys are glad that they, don't, they didn't have grade speed when you were growing up? You know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm so glad that, that I had the, whole, the old report card. Like, Micah, where's your report card? I don't know. I don't know where it is. Aren't they gonna mail those? If they did, I would get to the mailbox first and throw it away. I don't know where it went. But, but at some point, there was this reckoning. There was this grade report card day, right, where you sat down with your parents, and here's what you did with your brief six weeks and what, you know, it, it was just kind of like that, that judgment of what happened here, you know. And it, at some point in our lives, this brief life of 80, 90, 100, 120 years that we live on this earth, we'll get judged and we're going to sit down with Jesus and he's going to say, how did we do? Now remember, go back to verse 11 in your text, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already laid. Jesus is how we get there. But then because we're there in heaven, Christians are going to get 
rewards. Now this is talked about many places. Let me show you how Paul kept talking about this. Here's 2 Corinthians 5.10 in the next letter to the church in Corinth. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us, everybody. Each one may receive what's due him for the things done while in the body, whether they're good or bad. This passage says that Christians will be judged at the end of time. Now, super spiritual Christians are like, I don't need a reward. I just do it for Jesus, and I'm sacrificing, and I'm giving a lot, and I'm serving a lot. And, I, you know, it's just, you know, it's really immature to think you're going to get rewarded. You're going to have a big problem with what Paul says, though. Look at what Paul says in Philippians. In Philippians chapter, here on the screen, Philippians chapter 3, he says, I press on toward the goal. I, want to, I don't know about you, but I want to win the reward, win the prize for which God's called me heavenward. I, I know what's going to happen in the afterlife. It's affecting how I live this life. And then he's saying, all of us who are mature should take such a view of these things. He said, I don't know what you're doing over there in your race, but I'm racing because I know one day I'm going to be rewarded for what I've done with the grace of God in my life. Now, when my kids were a lot smaller, preschool age, here's what we would do to kind of help them behave in public. I told them, I would gather them up, I said, listen, if you are complimented by a stranger for being nice, for being good, for being polite or quiet in a store, when we get home, I'll give you a dollar. Now, some people will say, well, you know, that's bribery. No, that is great parenting, survival, okay, I'm just saying. So I get these kids, I'm like, hey, everybody understand what we're doing? Like, okay, yeah, Dad, I'm gonna give you a dollar if you were complimented by a stranger. Okay, yeah, my kids were awesome. They were great, and, and every day, a stranger would come up and go, wow, your kids are so well-behaved, what great kids you have. And my kids would look at me, they wouldn't say anything, just look at me and go, cha-ching, you know, I'm gonna get a reward, you know? Not gonna get a reward right now, but you are when we get home. You see, they're still my kids whether they got a reward or not. They're still gonna go home with me whether they got complimented or not. But at some point, they knew there was gonna be a reward day. And it motivated them in their behavior in that moment because they knew what was gonna happen in the next. And Paul's saying in the same way, let's think about what's gonna happen next. And he says, I'm gonna run this race. Now look at what it says in chapter three, verse 14. It says, if the work survives, they're gonna get a reward. Next verse. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through the flames. They're still gonna go home. They're still gonna get to heaven, but there's not gonna be a reward. Now, there's something inside of all of us that wants a reward, and we all have it in us. Like, I can't wait to see what's gonna happen, and, and we all have within us, even temporarily, rewards that we wanna get, achievements that we wanna make, plaques that we wanna receive, uh, you know, honors that we wanna get, and we can all remember back to those days as a child where we got the reward ceremony after the big season. Now, just by a show of hands, how many of you guys have a plaque, a trophy of some kind in your house right now? You got something like this? Okay, all good. Lots of hands went up, but not every one of them. Everybody got one of these before? If you've ever gotten one of these before? Okay, just making sure. You can, it's, it's a great feeling. You know, it's like, wow, look, you know, I achieved this. I got this. And the coach was watching. And the whole season was long, and it was hard, but that's what the reward is. Now, I really wasn't great in sports, so I got, you know, the participation award. You ever got one of those things? You know, it's like, Davidson, come over here, Davidson. Way to keep your jersey on, son. You kept your jersey on the whole season. It was awesome. <laughs> Love the way you sat on the bench. Here you go, all right? You know, but, but there's something inside of us. Even the temporary reward is just awesome, and we want to see what's going to happen at that reward ceremony. And we're hoping just maybe we'll get one of these, one of these. Maybe this one is like, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I could just take that home with me? And wouldn't it be awesome if the coach recognized that achievement? Paul is saying there's going to be a day where Christ, just let this sink in, 
one-on-one is gonna go one-on-one with you and say, I was watching you. I saw you. I saw when you made the right choice when no one was looking. I saw when you made the wise choice when no one noticed. I saw when you stood up for what is right when no one else did. I saw you when you were a light in your school. You were a light in your office for me. And you said, well, no, no, wait a minute, Jesus. I'm here in heaven because of grace. I'm here in heaven because of you. And he's gonna reach out with nail-pierced hands and say, I know, child, but I wanna reward you for what you did with the grace and the life that I gave you and what you built on that grace. And just let it sink in. One day he's gonna say, I I saw everything. I saw everything that you did in that brief life on earth. I saw you. I I saw you when, when you were an encourager to that person. In those words, help that person look to me. I saw you when you were affirming to that person and God used those words to point them to me. I saw you. I saw you when you looked at those people like I would look at them. I saw you. I saw you when you treated people the way I would treat them. I saw you when you lined your life up with my word and you lived in the light of my truth. I saw you. I saw you when days were hard but you didn't give up your faith. I saw you. I saw you when you stumbled but you persevered and here is your reward. I saw you. I saw you when your parents got a divorce and I know that that was really hard for you, but I saw you. I saw you didn't give up on me and you trusted me and you lived for me and when you got married, you stayed together. I saw you. I saw you when you served your church, my church. I saw you. I saw you when you were a greeter and you smiled and you welcomed people to my house. I saw you. I saw you when you held that baby in the preschool ministry and the nursery, and I saw all those dirty diapers. I I, I heard all of that crying, and I saw you. You were wondering, when is the pastor gonna stop talking so the parents can come get this baby? I saw you. I saw you. And because you held that baby and you were patient, I saw those parents take steps toward me, and I saw those parents find me, and I saw them take care of that child and love them like you did. I saw you. I saw you when you held those third graders and and just told them, listen, Jesus loves you. And I saw that one that grew up and never forgot it when they became an adult. I saw you. I saw you when you helped that teenager when they didn't have a parent and you were there for them at that camp when you volunteered to help. I saw you. I saw you when you leveraged your social media to tell others about me and you helped others find my truth because of what you put and you leveraged technology for my glory. I saw you. I saw you when you used the talents and gifts that I've given you to point others to me and to bring me glory. I saw you when you were humble and not prideful. I saw you when you were a servant. I saw you when you gave that person a cup of water when they were thirsty. I saw you when you gave that person who was hungry something to eat. I saw you. I saw you when you gave in that offering plate. I watched the offering plate every weekend. I saw your generosity toward others in need. I saw you. I saw you when you chose to listen to music that honors me. I saw you when you prayed for others and when you even prayed for your enemies. I saw you when you were nice to your parents. And I saw you when you were patient with your kids. And I saw you when you helped your friend take steps toward me. Just let it sink in, friend. There's gonna be a day when you go one-on-one with Jesus and your reward is waiting for you. Here's the bottom line. If that really is the reality of what scripture says, then the bottom line is all that matters at the end of time 
is pleasing God. That's all that matters. All that matters in the end, isn't it, is what he thinks. It doesn't matter what your friends think. It doesn't matter what your neighbors think. It doesn't matter what culture thinks. What if we left this space today living for an audience of one? And I would encourage you, take inventory of your life. Ask yourself, what am I doing with my words? What am I doing with what I'm listening to? What am I doing with what I'm looking at? What am I doing with my choices? And at the end of time, if Christ is gonna go one-on-one with me and say, I know you got here by my grace, but I want to give you a reward. What if we lived with the reality of the next life and we, it actually changed how we live now? Verses all the way through the scriptures inspire me, but verses like this overwhelm me. Revelation 22 says it this way. Here's how it's gonna end, and the end is just the beginning. Jesus says, behold, I'm coming soon, my reward is with me, and I'm gonna give to everyone according to what he has done. Saying, listen, at the end of time, all that matters is what Jesus thinks about me. And here's the very humbling thing for me, it's not that he's gonna reward just what I've done, he's gonna reward or not reward why I did it, because he knows the motives of men's hearts. Very humbling, isn't it? I mean, he's not just going to give us what we have earned in in our rewards, he's going to give it to us based on how we did it and why. You see, if I've ever done a sermon to impress you, it just burns up like wood, hay, and straw. If I've ever done a sermon because this is what God wants me to tell you, there's reward. If you ever go through life and you do things because somebody's watching, there's hay, wood, straw, it burns up. But if you did it just genuinely out of gratitude for grace, there's great reward. And you may be thinking, well, what about so-and-so? I, I know they say they're a Christian, but I, I, they don't even go to church. I know they don't give and they definitely don't serve. What about them? I mean, you know, I mean, are they gonna get to heaven? That's just not fair. Hold on, don't get too excited here. Aren't you just glad that you only have to answer for you? When you get to heaven, you're not gonna have to answer the person next to you. It's just you and God, and he knows your heart. And it's very humbling to think about that. Now, what are you gonna do with these gifts? When you get to heaven, what are you gonna do with them? Just think about that. You got the rewards, all right. What do you do? You go down to your mansion in heaven, you put all these up on your mantle in heaven so when people come over to see you in eternity, you're like, hey, look at everything I did for Jesus. Is that what you're gonna do? Like, hey, I got a reward for, look, I encouraged this person a thousand times in their life. You got one of those? That's pretty cool, isn't it? Look at this one, I invited three people to Lake Point and they got saved, can you beat that one? I mean, look at this one. I served in a nursery for 30 years. I bet you can't beat that. Woo! Is that what we're gonna do in heaven, like brag about our mantle? No. You know what the Bible says? Very clearly. Now, it does suggest that what we did in this life and the stewardship we had in this life definitely affects our influence and responsibility there in the parable of the talents with Jesus. What did you do with the talents? And he says, great, here's your reward. I will double what you did. But let me tell you what we're gonna do with the rewards. Very clearly, the Bible says you're gonna get these rewards and then you're gonna turn around and you're gonna kneel at the feet of Jesus and you're gonna place those rewards at his feet in an act of worship and offering to say, thank you, Jesus, because your grace, I'm here. Thank you, Jesus, because your grace, here's what I accomplished for your glory. Now just imagine how fulfilling it's gonna be that I did all of this for you and then to come to Jesus with all of these rewards he just gave you and say, I'm so thankful that I got to serve you and I'm here to enjoy eternity with you forever. 
You see, that's why I'm so motivated by what I do. I'm not, not because I'm a pastor or because I'm a minister, but because of that one moment where Jesus will look and he'll see whatever rewards I've done out of pure motivation and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. May we all live for that day. You say, what about the person that doesn't have any rewards? You already saw it and Paul said it, didn't he? He said, when you walk in, it's like everything is, it wasn't real. It wasn't, it wasn't for his glory. And every lady in this room knows about fake jewelry, okay? Glass looks a lot like diamonds until it's tested. And once it's tested, there'll be those who get to heaven, but they've got nothing to show for it. What about them? I believe that's why Revelation says that at one point, when we step into the afterlife, Jesus is gonna wipe away every tear from our eyes. Why would he need to do that? Because whether you're empty-handed or you have rewards, we're gonna realize, wow, if only I'd have known how amazing this place is, I could have encouraged them better. I could have been more patient in that situation. I could have invited those people. I could have invited more people to God's grace. And we'll be entering into heaven with this reality that all that mattered at the end of time was to please him, and we're only there by grace. We need grace at the end. We wanna walk in grace now. And the best summary of this entire message is in Ephesians, and it summarizes it better than I could. Ephesians chapter two, I'll put it on the screen for you. It says this, for it is by grace, it's all about grace. You've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. And look, watch this, not by works. You're not gonna get to heaven by works. You're not gonna boast that you're in heaven. It's all because of Jesus. Some of you need this verse. Some of you are here and you think you're gonna get to heaven by being good. You're trying really hard. Receive God's grace today. God's grace has a name, his name is Jesus. Please do not leave this place. Do not click off that computer on the internet without finding grace. His name is Jesus. You need him now and he is the grace we need for the afterlife. But many of us know Christ, and so the next verse is also for us. We need to know it's grace, that's what saves us. But verse 10 says, for we are God's workmanship and as followers of Christ, we're created in Christ Jesus, here it is, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are not saved by works, but we are saved to work. And the work that we do because of our gratitude and grace will be rewarded one day in heaven. And may we all live in light of that reality. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And in this quiet moment, I would ask you, if you are here today, and you've never received grace, it's not an accident you are here, and whether you're a convict from a prison or a kid that grew up and was a good kid your whole life, find grace today in Jesus. We all need him. And just whisper a prayer of faith and say, God, I need you today. He'll hear you. And just receive him and just say, God, forgive me. I need your grace today, Jesus. Come into my life and change me. And just tell him, I wanna follow you the rest of my life. And thank you for the promise of heaven. For those of us who've made that prayer our reality and relationship, may we pray that God would help us to live with eternity in mind. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the truth of it. Thank you for the reality of the afterlife that heaven is more real than the seat we sit in. And because of that, may we live in the light of the afterlife. And may what we know now about the afterlife affect how we live today. May people see your grace in us, in our relationships, in our choices, where we go to school and in our homes. And thank you, Lord, that we are not gonna leave here with the guilt of the past, but with the hope of grace as we walk in it from this moment forward. And may all of us live for the moment that we will hear, well done, 
my good and faithful servant. We leave this place to serve you, and we love you and thank you for the promise of heaven. And we ask it all in the name of our Savior and friend, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Let's give God a hand for his grace and his truth in our lives today. Amen.